Hello and welcome to the Vetfolio podcast series, Your Dream Job in Vet Med. Enjoy the journey with our expert facilitator, Mr. Stith Kaiser. We'd like to thank Hills Pet Nutrition for underwriting this four-part series, which includes job search, expectations, landing the right job, ingredients of a great resume, and prepare for your interview. Stith Kaiser is the founder and manager of My Veterinary Career at AHA. His industry experience includes facilitating career development workshops and speaking at national and state veterinary conferences. For other career development resources, please visit vetfolio.com slash recentgrads. Welcome to our fourth installment of Your Dream Job in Vet Med. Enjoy the journey. Today, we will be talking about how to prepare for your interview. We've discussed in prior podcasts setting realistic job search expectations. We've talked about how to make yourself stand out. We've talked about how to combine those into ingredients for a great resume. And today we're going to talk about how to take it to the next level and land that job through the interview. I love asking students when I'm in front of a classroom who considers themselves to be a salesperson. And in veterinary medicine, if I get one or two hands raised, I'm pretty lucky. What I usually tell them is get yourself in the mind of a salesman or woman because that's what an interview is. The purpose of an interview is to sell ourselves. We have something to sell, hopefully, our skills, our experiences, our character traits, and we are trying to sell those things to a buyer, i.e. a practice owner, or if you're going into industry or, or lab animal or research, to whoever is conducting the interview there. To get ourselves in the mindset of being a salesman or woman, it's important to understand what that's actually going to look like. Let's break that down into the interview process overview. We've gone through the other podcasts we talked about, and now we've maybe applied through a job ad, maybe we've gotten the interview through a networking connection. We've submitted our resume and our cover letter. Now it's time to talk interview question strategies. There are three main types of strategies that employers will use. You have the traditional questions, and especially with our baby boomer practice owners out there, not the stereotype, but it's, it's a stereotype for a reason, they are going to offer, they, they tend to ask more of the, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, why are you interested in this job? Be prepared to answer those things. Have your bullet-pointed list in your mind, at least, of what you want to cover. We're seeing a lot of practice owners now move to our second, third types of interview questions. The next one will be a situational what that basically means is we are going to put you in a theoretical situation that we believe you will encounter in our practice or our company to see how you respond to it. For example, I might say, pretend I'm a client bringing my puppy in for a new puppy visit. What general topics would you cover with me? Or pretend you are at our biggest large animal client's operation and you notice an animal welfare issue related to handling techniques. How would you handle that situation? That's what I love to ask, by the way, when I'm talking to food animal job applicants. The reason we'll use those questions is because I want to know how you're going to handle those because more than likely you're going to run into situations like that in practice. The problem with a situational interview question is you all are all smart enough to know what you should say. You're coached pretty well in school, and so what we sometimes get is not what you would really do but what you know you should do. That's why we lean toward the third type of interview question, which is behavioral-based. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was saying how much he hates these questions because they usually start with, tell me about. They require you to think back on a specific time or experience and how you handled that. Can you still lie? Absolutely. But it's harder to lie 
when you're having to remember a specific situation versus if I give you a situational one or if I give you a traditional interview question where you can just rehearse a practice answer. I'll give you some examples of the, the tell me about. And what I really want to know from a tell me about question is I want to know how you've behaved in the past because past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior. Sounds cliche, but it's the truth. I'm going to let Matthew take over here for a second and ask me a question that I know a lot of interviewees really dread. Stip, thank you so much. And we're going to pose this question as you shift gears into role-playing here. Welcome to the interview, Stiff. I've got a question for you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. And as Matthew just said, I'm going to stop being me, which will hopefully give you guys a good laugh as I try to be a veterinary student. Let me set the scenario here. Let's pretend that I'm a fourth-year student interviewing at a one-doctor mixed animal, we'll say 60% cattle, 40% small animal, practice in rural Nebraska. Matthew posed the question. I would respond, and I'm relying partially on my own experience and then partially on what I would want to hear as a practice owner. So I would say something to the effect of, Matthew, I appreciate the question. I entered this profession not only to make a difference in the lives of patients, clients, producers, and their herds, but also in the practice that hires me. When I was nine years old, my dad bought me 18 head of cattle. I spent the next nine years until I graduated from high school responsible for managing and growing our herd. Having been a producer, albeit on a small scale, I understand the challenges veterinarians face as we move away from being an arm to being a trusted advisor. I also know that one of the biggest issues facing mixed animal practitioners is balancing time spent in the truck and on the farm with serving our small animal clientele in the clinic. In many mixed practices, small animal work is an afterthought. I've spent my academic career shadowing and working the small animal side of practice as well as the large so that I can come into a practice and help elevate the level and range of small animal services. This will increase the overall quality of the practice while also driving revenue. Of course, I do realize that I'll be the newbie on board, and while I'm excited to contribute what I've learned and my ideas, I really value coaching from you and other more seasoned members of the staff. Mm, it's interesting. And Matthew threw me a curveball there, but he did a good job doing it. When you're interviewing, you will get some interviewers who are going to respond very enthusiastically, oh, that's great, or tell me more about A, B, C, or D. You're going to get others who, an intentional ploy to throw you off, give you no feedback, or they're just such inexperienced at interviewing, they don't know what to say. If Matthew were to respond the way that he just did, my response would probably be one of two things. I could ask a close-ended question and say, Matthew, did that answer your question? Or, as we are all taught to do, I could ask an open-ended question and say, Matthew, what questions do you have about that? I won't ask him to respond for the sake of time, but if I've got somebody I'm having a hard time reading, I turn the conversation around, I use those open-ended questions, and I make them talk to me more so I can get a, a good feel for the direction in which we're headed. Aside from the tell me about yourself question, other questions I would recommend being prepared for are why are you interested in this position, what components are important to you in the right job, what concerns do you have about this opportunity based on what you know now, and another one I love, and we touched on this when we were talking about ingredients of a great resume, and that is what is your biggest professional accomplishment, whether in school, leadership roles, or as an extern. All of those tend to be the tell-me-about type questions where I am making the interviewee pull from past experiences. Assuming that phone interview goes well, we're going to move on to the face-to-face -face or the shadowing interview. 
working interviews are invaluable. I can sound great over the phone as a candidate, and a practice owner can sound amazing as he or she's representing their practice. But until we get to that face-to-face stage, until I get to spend a few days in the practice, it's really hard for me as a candidate to get a read on a practice or, let's say, your practice owner for you to get a read on me. Types of questions I would expect, we usually go a little bit more in-depth on a face-to-face. A, I like to be able to read facial expressions, and then B, that phone interview is usually more of a general get-to-know-you, do we even like each other enough to proceed. When I've got you in the clinic or at the company for the face-to-face or working interview, I'm going to ask questions that are going to delve a little bit deeper. For example, what do you consider your greatest strengths, and how do you see it serving you in our practice? What's something you'd like to change about yourself, and how have you worked to change this? Another one I love asking is, what are your weaknesses? It's not that I really even care so much what the weaknesses are, but I want to know the second part to what I just asked, and that is, what have you done to fix it? We're all going to have weaknesses. What I'm looking for and ask somebody what their weaknesses are is the initiative they've taken to get better. I also love the question, what will you do to build your client base? I mentioned on an earlier podcast, few practices are just so slammed with work that we have a full-time caseload for you, which means I need you to come on board and pitch in. Matthew, listeners are probably ready for a break, probably were a long time ago, from listening to me rattle off questions. Would you mind pitching me another question to let me try and answer? Absolutely, Steph, and I've got another question ready for you here, and it has to do with initiative. So, Steph, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about a time where you saw a problem and you took some initiative to get it fixed. Absolutely. I'm going to step back into my role as a student here, and I'm going to use a real example because it's a great example. My response would be something to the extent of, Matthew, I'd love to tell you more about a time that I saw a problem and took the initiative to fix it. As an extern this past summer, I worked in a practice where they just hired a new veterinarian, and he was having more slow days and busy days due to the caseload. Instead of just sitting around for clients to come in, he and I worked together to promote his availability and interest. We did this through a variety of means. A, we've worked with the office manager to get him on the website, a bio, and then on the home page, a little pitch welcoming him to the practice. Secondly, we got him engaged in the community. We were in a rural community, so it was pretty easy to work with the newspaper. I know it's not always possible in larger communities, but we had a newspaper story done on him. We got him involved in 4-H, and we also lined him up to go speak with some elementary students at uh, the local school. Lastly, we knew that he was interested in dentistry. So we worked with our office manager and our support staff team to develop educational material for our clients. We educated our team, and then we worked with the front desk staff to book dentals. This summer taught me a lot about not waiting for a problem to be fixed while I twiddled my thumbs and to instead take the initiative to fix it. Stiff, that's a great experience. Thanks for sharing that with me. Not a problem at all. Other more pointed questions you might experience could include What do you see as major issues affecting our industry? I like to ask that because it's easy to think about the macro level, but I want to hear what candidates are observing on the micro level and how it will impact our clinic. Another one, what do you see as major issues affecting the livestock industry? What role, if any, can we as veterinarians play in solving those issues? We all know about legislation going on right now, antibiotics, food animal side, medicine is changing a lot, and I want to hire someone who is attuned to that. I like asking about someone's biggest professional failure and why. We all fail, and I want to know how you bounce back from that. Another question that I know throws a lot of people for a loop, I'm going to let Matthew run that one by me so you all can get a good chuckle out of it. So, Stith, the question that's often on every candidate's mind during the interview is, how much would you like to make in this position? I know I keep saying good question, but that really is a good question because that's something that the majority of our graduates are going to face. 
don't get me wrong. If you go work for a large practice, a lot of times they're not going to ask you, or if they do ask you, it's just to see what you would say, but they already have a number anyway. But in our average practice, which has two to three doctors, they're going to ask you that question because they really want to know, and it's critical to be prepared for that. I have seen candidates ask for way too little and undersell themselves and end up making not as much as the owner had in mind. And I've also seen candidates be a little too cocky, ask for way too much, and then lose the job offer. If I were to get asked how much do you want to make and why, I would start off by saying something to the effect of, I understand my job as a veterinarian is to fit into the culture here, the style of medicine, and to be a great practitioner and a great producer. I know that whatever you pay me, I've got to produce roughly five times that to generate my salary. I also know that things like cost of living play into this. I know that how we leverage our support staff here is going to play into this. And while I want to learn more about those things, let me ask you some questions first to help me better understand the production side. Knowing what I need to produce to garner any salary, my first question for you is, how much does each associate in your practice produce? Now, I'm not asking for their salary, but how much do they bring in on an annual basis? Next, I'd like to understand what their average client transaction is. I know a lot of my ability to hit a certain production number comes down to how we practice medicine in the exam room. Would you mind sharing that number with me? Lastly, I'd love to learn more about my schedule and how you have appointment time set up so I better understand the time I'm going to get with each client as well as the time they're going to spend with the support staff. Stepping out of that role now, Matthew, I don't expect you to be able to respond to those questions, but based on how you respond, you're going to give me data that's going to help me answer those questions. If you tell me, for example, that each associate is producing $200,000 a year, and I just told you that we use a multiplier of five for our salary, I am now going to know there is no way I'm going to make the national average $70,000 a year. I really shouldn't even be working there, uh, let alone making $70,000 a year. Whereas if you tell me that each associate is producing roughly the national average of half a million dollars a year in medical services as well as other services and products, I know that I've got some nice wiggle room there that if I come in and do my job, there's enough production to be able to perform at the level necessary. Again, I'm kind of turning that question around back to you, not just for the sake of doing it, but I'm doing it so that I can garner the information I need to give you an intelligent answer. Assuming our job negotiations, part of the interview process goes well, follow-up is the next key. I've seen too many people who go back to school, they get busy, and they don't do proper follow-up, and it ends up costing them the job. When you leave the practice, send a handwritten note would be ideal, but even an email is better than nothing. I'm still awed by how many times we interview people and don't hear anything back at all. And if you want to drop yourself down on the priority list of candidates, not sending appropriate follow-up is a great way to do it. Send that handwritten card again. That's the best route to go. But if not, even an email, thanking them for their time. I always like to emphasize something I really enjoyed about their practice, and then I wrap it up with a summary of why I think I could be a good fit for them. I know the interviews can be intimidating, but keep the end goal in mind. Our job is to determine if we're the right fit for them and vice versa, and to sell ourselves so that they cannot do without us in their practice. Thank you for listening to our fourth installment of Your Dream Job in Vet Med. Enjoy the journey.